African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Welcome to African Dialogue. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. You'll be with me for the next hour. Thank you for joining us on our shortwave uh, frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Remember, we are also on uh, DSTV on Channel 802 on uh, the uh, audio bouquet there. And you can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, it's a different African Dialogue today. I have some of my favorite colleagues senior colleagues I should say people that I respect very much in our studios some of them are mentors and the people I respect in the field right on Channel Africa we have our executives we're going to be looking at uh, the big stories of the year well 2017 has been a year full of political turmoil and social uncertainty in the year and uh, we know that the year started off with the inauguration of Donald Trump, who has been seen for the entire year as fueling right-wing enthusiasts. Meanwhile, Africa experienced a number of elections, a few which were muddled by controversy and others leading away for new presidents in the midst of historical trends of presidents reigning beyond uh, their term limits. Now, to discuss this, we are joined by Charlie Kumalo, who is the executive producer of our Portuguese service, Janine Kutia, who an executive producer for our English service. Also, Mike Arareng, who is an executive producer for our uh, Kiswahili service. Now, I want to start the conversation with you, Janine. I know that uh, when we were talking earlier on, we just had to kind of think through some of the big things because so much happened this year. There was so much action. But something that started off uh, January was... um, really the big succession debate of the African Union. I know that that's something that you highlighted. How did that look for you? Did you see things actually moving in the in the, a predictable um, uh, direction with that? It was interesting to see the end of uh, Dr. Nkosazana Zamini Zuma's term. Well, you know, my uh, colleague, um, uh, we call him Charlie Efram Kumalo from the Portuguese service. Uh, both of us have been covering the AU for many years. Sure. And of course, that's always really interesting to see who comes and goes. And this was the end for um, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma. Um, Charlie can help me out. I don't think she will be remembered as a very successful mm. AU Commission chairperson. Um, Charlie can have more to say about her successor now. We know that um, she's back in South Africa now mm. to sort of also take up political space here. Yeah, that's been a um, big debate in South yes. Africa as well. Yeah. Um, uh, we always have representation from our colleagues attending the AU Summit in Addis Ababa and Tlantla Mathlangu, our colleague on the English side, was there. So, yes, um, her going was a natural thing. It was the end of her term. Mm. But I think Charlie can maybe um, um, elaborate more on the person now after her Mm. if there is more expected now in Mm. decision-making and real action from the African Union side. Charlie, your thoughts? Well, frankly, uh, as a chairperson of the African Union, she has achieved absolutely nothing. It was only... A step, you know, to enhance a CV mm. so that she can come and contest for the presidency of the Republic of South Africa. 
She spent more time here in South Africa than at her office in Addis Ababa. There have been several times when we tried to get in touch with her in Addis Ababa, and the people there would actually laugh at us and say, but she's down there in South Africa. You are calling <laughs> from South Africa, she's down there. <laughs> with en- without anybody knowing that she's down here, mm. for whatever reason. But frankly, when we talk about her chairmanship at the African Union, look, it's not something to write home about. It's not something, you know, we can say, no, she achieved one, two, three. She has never been to any conflict area. She has never taken part in any, you know, mediation part in conflicts. She has never even, you know, facilitated any sort of negotiations in conflict areas. Hence, I'm saying uh, when we talk about achievements, she's got nothing to write home about. She has achieved absolutely nothing. And if I can just say there, from a media person's um, point of view, um, I found that um, she was not very media friendly. Um, mm. As I say, the both of us and Mr. Ari Ring also have covered lots of AU summits and events. I think the last person that I feel I really had good connection with was um, Salim Ahmed Salim in those mm. days. Oh, how long ago was that? 10, 15 years ago when he was the um, African Union chief. With Dr. Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, there was absolutely nothing. Um, you sometimes... Uh, and uh, we're not yet to run it down. We're just sure, talking sure. about her chair, chairpersonship. Um, I, I found it not very uh, media-friendly to report really on what was going on um, with inside the African Union. In, in that, we saw, uh, Mike, uh, the election of uh, Chad's Musa Farki uh, Mohammad as the new chair. Your thoughts of his type of leadership? I know that he's more diplomatic, he's more formalized uh, than the previous uh, uh chairs of the AU commission? Normally, under any circumstance, mm. uh, we normally count the first 100 days. Sure. So, we, also, we are also giving him a chance. Sure. Uh, remember, in the AU, there is this, uh, what we call a block, French-speaking mm. and English-speaking. He comes from French-speaking country. And of course, all those French-speaking countries are eagerly waiting to see what plans the new uh, chairperson has. Mm. But I think uh, he might do something because I have seen him traveling to different places, conflict areas, to see for himself Mm. what is taking place on the ground. So I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that if he's given time, maybe by next year, we shall get to know whether he's capable or incompetent. Mm. Coming back to you, Prachali, the big story that we looked at this year, and you came into our studio, were the political developments in the Gambia. We saw the transition there. It was a huge debate to see the change of succession there. We saw the huge role of ECOWAS uh, playing a huge role with that particular story. And you even came into studio, and we spoke a lot about Jaya uh, Jame. Initially, you thought that really you didn't see the change of power actually taking place but we, you came back into our studios we saw how important that ECOWAS intervention was yeah it was quite effective I must say that but remember Gambia is a very very small country with a population of less than 2 million people mm. I can tell you that uh, if that intervention was required in a country like Nigeria or Ghana it would not have been that effective it was effective in a sense that uh, Yajame himself realized that uh, he was cornered. Mm. 
he was with his back against the wall. And of course, uh, how he left the country and where to, that is Equatorial Guinea where he's currently residing. Mm. Most probably, he could have struck a deal with the president of Equatorial Guinea, Mbasogo Ngema, mm. who could have said maybe to him, look, my brother, you stand no chance of resisting anymore. I can give you a haven here in my country. Just come and start a new life here. And of course, uh, he succumbed to that. You know, Well, I must say that uh, Iko has played an instrumental role in that situation. Mm. But unfortunately, it was only effective in a country as small as the Gambia, with a population of less than 2 million. We still have serious problems in that region. Currently, the elections have stalled in Liberia, with the president presenting herself as a problem. Mm. You know, very often when we have elections in a country, opposition parties are the first to cry foul. Mm. But in Liberia, it's a different situation. The president, incumbent, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, is the first to cry foul. Mm. And interestingly, the American embassy, even the Supreme Court of Liberia, said they did not see any irregularities of fraud committed mm. during mm. that process. Mm. Mm. So you ask yourself, what or where is the role of the ECOWAS mm. in this case? If you ask me the reason why does she seems to be resisting, to move, or to go on, I would say there's a problem in Liberia, and the problem divides the nation into two. Mm. There are Liberians of American descent, there are Liberians of indigenous descent. Mm. Let me say indigenous Liberians, I'm sorry. Now, those of American descent have been running that country ever since the first slave was brought back to that country. 1847, something like that. They have been the one who have been in charge. This could have been the very first time that an indigenous Liberian taking control of that country. Mm. That's George Weyer. Mm. You wow. get the point. So there are maneuvers, there are attempts actually to thwart all these efforts. Where is Equals right now? Mm. It should have intervened for a very long time, my brother. They mm. could have intervened actually as soon as possible and said, but look, we gave you assistance. Let us try to put the process back on track because it has stalled right now. Mm. And my fear is that uh, this could divide the Liberian people. Uh, this would cause a situation whereby we'll have indigenous Liberians looking at Liberians of American descent as their enemies. Sure, sure. You know. Well, let's hope things will not, you know, break loose and get out of control. But uh, ECOWAS was supposed to have intervened. But well, I can tell you that Equals will not intervene immediately in a country like Liberia for in case as long as Ellen Johnson Sirleaf is still in charge. That lady is untouchable, not because she's a superpower, but because she's a darling of the Americans. <laughs> Equals would never want to do anything that would antagonize them with the Americans. That I can assure you. And the Americans are comfortable with their presence wherever she is. Mm. Well, sticking to the theme of elections, uh, coming back to you, Mike, uh, was... Another election that stood out this year, which was the Rwandan election, we saw Paul Kagame being re-elected once again, getting that 99% of a vote, and already we had predicted that there's no really other alternative uh, during our various programming here on Channel Africa. Your thoughts around uh, what stood out in the Rwanda situation? Well, I can say that uh, it was a man, one-man show. Mm. Because the opposition. There is no opposition actually in Rwanda. Mm. And uh, Kagame will continue ruling that country for a long time. So I can just say it was a sham election. Mm. 
on my side. It's, that's my own opinion. Because <coughs> how can a president get 99%? You really wonder. Mm. First of all, the electoral commission consists of people who are very close to the president. And you, if you look at the opposition itself, these are very weak people who are trying their luck. Mm. And actually, these are the people who are not even known. For example, there was a journalist, I remember one of the candidates, he was actually in Uganda, mm. he went to school in Uganda, and mm. he was a Hutu. Mm. And uh, Mark you, mm. the Hutu at this particular moment will never win an election in Rwanda because the Tusi are now in charge. And it will take a long time, maybe, unless miracles happen. But at the moment, I can assure you that those elections, the way how they were organized, the way how they were conducted, it was a ma one-man show. And that's why Paul Kagame had to get the 99% uh, uh, of the votes. Jeanine, mm. you want to say something? I just wanted to reflect, uh, now that Mike says um, in Rwanda it was a one-man show, but I was going to, uh, earlier on, there were actually so many elections that we covered this year. Mm. Uh, there was elections in, in Lesotho, mm. Kenya, Liberia, Rwanda, mm. and Angola. And Rwanda was one, despite the background uh, or the realities, that was basically um, harmless and a sort of, you can almost have a free election. Ch um, Charlie re re reflected on Liberia where mm. long after the election, the incumbent is still sort of um, in power. Mm. Kenya, we know everybody followed the drama there with um, Odinga and Kenyatta. Um, but in Rwanda and Angola, which um, Charlie Shervis reports on, um, things mm. seem to have been more... Uh, accepted uh, mm. elections compared to other countries where there's upheaval and, and fighting and so on. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. A very insightful views that we're getting here from our executive producers. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Janine Kutsia, our English service executive producer, Mike Arereng, uh, executive producer of uh, Kiswahili, and also our Portuguese executive producer, Charlie Kumalo. They're usually right behind the action, making things happen, in, and uh, sometimes you never really hear them on air, but uh, the, the, this is where the knowledge and the direction of our news content is. It's 21 minutes past 11 o'clock at Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. You are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, you with us until midday Central African time. At 11.45 Central African time, we'll get our business news, and then we'll also have our sports. So we still have a lot uh, coming up on our program. We're speaking about the elections, and uh, since we're looking at the big stories of the year, Brachali, uh, I know Angola was uh, a big story for the uh, Portuguese services 
some that you really focused on, especially seeing the elections, uh, actually a new era for Angola itself. You even wrote a piece very recently on our uh, Channel Africa blog space. Yes, uh, thanks Benji once again. Yeah, actually, uh, I must say that uh, what is happening right now in Angola is something that nobody expected to happen, especially in such a short space of time. You know, uh, the new president, Joao Lorenzo, Mm -hmm. was the defense minister under President uh, Dos Santos. Mm -hmm. He was appointed to take over from Dos Santos. Normally, you know, the history of Africa has taught us that once an outgoing president appoints an incoming president. Mm. He tends to appoint his own puppet. Sure. A yes man, somebody mm. who will be remote controlled. Mm. Mm. Especially because Dos Santos has not given up his position as the president of the ruling MPLA party. Mm. You know, we thought that the, the party itself will be the nucleus you know, of the power. After coming into office, he actually proved beyond any reasonable doubt that President Lorenzo that he is his own man. Mm. You saw those yeah. reforms even in the whole um, uh, peristatal f- format. Yeah. Can you elaborate yeah. on what happened there? You know, during his campaign, let me take you a bit back. Okay. During his campaign, he was traveling around the country telling the people of Angola that under my government, I'm going to combat corruption. Mm. There won't be any nepotism anymore. And all the state apparatus will be run and managed by people with relevant qualifications and expertise. Mm. We thought it was just cheap politicking, you know, Mm. because the common thing when you talk about African affairs, promises, promises, Mm. promises. Immediately after coming to office, the first changes he made, he appointed his own foreign minister and his own vice president. He's got a vice president of his choice, finance minister of his choice, Mm. and of course, a new defense minister. Those are the backbones of his government. And then from there, he started now focusing on all state apparatus, mm. SOEs, as mm. we call them in South Africa. Mm. You know, The most important one that he touched was the Son Angola oil company apparatus mm. that was managed and headed by the daughter of uh, the previous president, Dos Santos. Mm. It's a lady called Isabel Dos Santos. Santos yeah. And she's the second or the richest woman in Africa. She's the richest woman on the African continent. continent. A billionaire. Nobody ever thought President Lorenzo would do that, especially because Isabel was appointed by her own father, Mm. much to the wrath of the opposition and civil rights group in the country. They saw nepotism. They said, that company is rather too big for your daughter to run it. That's the backbone of the economy. What she did when she came in, she expelled one of the most senior executives, a man with the name of Carlos Saturnino. Mm. But now, come Lorenzo, Lorenzo dismissed him because he wanted to improve production and services. Actually, did he, did, did he expel her from her position in, in, in that oil company? Precisely, precisely, okay. yes. Mm. And interestingly, the president appointed Carlos Saturnino, who was expelled by Isabel dos Santos mm. to the position of the head. So we're seeing a, a power dynamic yeah. shift there. Precisely, precisely, mm. precisely. And then he went to the broadcasting apparatus, mm. radio and television, which were the backbone of the MPLA party all along. Mm. He changed the management, the directors, and all the top brass. And he said, gone are the days whereby 
the broadcasting or public broadcasting uh, agencies will be the mouthpiece of the government. You have to be the mouthpiece of the people now. Mm. What he meant by that was quite shocking. Mm. And, and we've seen real implementation even within the framework of the 100 days that he's, he's already been in power. In only two months, mm. in only two months, we saw a big difference. Mm. He was not supposed to have touched the police and the security forces, according to the agreement reached at with Dos Santos. But he did that in less than two months. Mm. He changed the security, the head of the security and the head of the police. Can you believe that? Mm. And he went to remove the governor of the Reserve Bank of Angola. Can you believe that? Mm. These are the significant changes he made. Because under the agreement he reached with Dos Santos, the security and the police apparatus were not supposed to have been changed. There was a moratorium until 2025, mm. according to the demands of Dos Santos. Wow. So there is no doubt that tension is now brewing between the two men. But believe me, he has already boosted mm. the confidence of the investors mm. in that country. Janine, you want to highlight something? I, I just wanted to ask Charlie, um, in Africa so many times something happens in a specific country and then everybody says, yes, that must be an example for all to follow. Like just after the, whatever they called it, the stage coup or whatever in Zimbabwe, so mm. many people expected Zimbabwe to be the example of mm. change. Mm. So I wanted to ask Charlie, in Angola, can Angola then now stand out as a success um, in the short term, a country that one can look up to and look forward to as an example of effective change is what is your opinion on that? I would say the leadership of President Lorenzo at the moment can be looked at as a shining example, as a role model. His leadership. You know, the interesting thing I'll tell you about him, what he did. He also traveled to the Cabinda Enclave, northernmost province of Angola, which produces most of the oil from that country. Mm. He traveled there. He saw abject poverty there. He lamented what he saw there. He said, I can't believe people in this enclave are living under these conditions. Cabinda enclave produces more than 50% of Angola's oil. Dos Santos ruled that country for 38 years. He has never set his foot there. But Lorenzo set his foot there in less than two months. You know. Hence, I'm saying his leadership at the moment, it's a force to be reckoned with. If, of course, it's not going to shift, if it's not going to be, you know, intimidated, if it's going to remain focused and bold enough, definitely his backbone will be the people of Angola who have suffered so much since independence in 1975. All right. I want us to, to move on and I want to come to you, Mike, because the other big story was the Kenyan elections. We saw the rerun of those elections. But I want us I want you to take us through the first part of those elections that were uh, contested against by Reila Odinga. Just uh, give us a little bit of a, a review of the, the, the Kenyan elections. Well, the political crisis started when the opposition demanded some changes in the electoral commission. Mm. They are not happy with the electoral commission. They wanted a change because they said that uh, the officials... And this is Raylo Dinger's yes, party. Yes, mm. the officials at the electoral commission were going to favor Uhuru Kenyatta. Mm. But uh, their demands were not met. Come the election day, Uhuru won the elections. But still, the opposition wasn't happy. They went to the court, the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court declared that uh, the election, 
is nile and void and uh, it must be repeated and it was repeated and when it was repeated Raila Odinga actually promised the people of Kenya that is going to participate in the repeated election but he withdrew at the last minute mm. and what did it mean to Kenyans Kenyans were not happy by that uh, action he took and they voted again Uhuru Kenyatta now there's a lot of drama we are hearing continuing because Uhuru Kenyatta actually became the president of Kenya mm. once again mm. and uh, the swearing ceremony took place mm. last week very recently sure but to our surprise surprise Uhuru, I mean Raila Odinga is planning next week yeah. again to go to the stage and to be I mean to to be the president of Kenya so in any country people are asking themselves how can you have two presidents in one country do you think that um, the decision that uh, Raila Odinga made especially when it came to that second round of elections was a mistake to have made because he seemed to have actually had a point in the first round because through the courts he actually won his case so technically he had an advantage over uh, Uhuru Kenyatta to some degree do you think pulling out for him was an error I think it was it was an error it was a huge error because if he had participated in that election maybe he could have won mm. maybe but you know Kenya as a country is really really divided because of they have uh, tribal difference mm. you, f you you find that uh, uh, Uhuru Kenyatta comes from the Kikuyu mm. which is the biggest tribe in Kenya uh, Raila Odinga comes from uh, Nyanza province that is for the Jaluos mm. and remember Uhuru Kenyatta was the son of the former president of Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta. Raila Odinga was the former uh, was the former son of the the, the former vice president of Kenya mm. and uh, also prime minister of Kenya. So they are great sons of great leaders of Kenya. But you find that there is another tribe also, the Kalenjin, the former president of Kenya. Uh, Moy mm. Moy is from Kalenjin and uh, Kalenjin now they are siding together with the Kikuyus and other tribes and you find that other tribes from Nyanza province, other tribes from Rift Valley province and the coastal area, mm. they are all in supporting Raila Odinga mm. so the Kenya problem is actually tribal. Mm. That's what I can say. It's tribal. Because even right now, as I speak, President Uhuru Kenyatta has been approached by other communities, other tribes. They also want to be included in the new cabinet, mm. which Uhuru Kenyatta is supposed to announce this week. Mm. So, along those tribal lines, if it continues, Kenya will have a lot of more political turmoil. Mm.
Well, I want to look at also from an environmental perspective, Janina. I know that uh, your news team looked at the various um, issues on that front, uh, the effects of the cyclone you know, in southern Africa. We know that there was that huge drought in uh, the Horn of Africa. Africa yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of you, them. You know, yeah, I've, I've, I just made some notes. Um, we're on air so many hours a day, mm-hmm. so there's so many things sure. just on this continent mm-hmm. that one can reflect on. And I must really pay tribute to all the language services and me on my side, the English services, journalists, and the reporters, the freelancers that we have all across Africa and the world to bring us these news. So um, if I can call it disasters, there were so many things, natural mm. disasters, as you call the, the drought in the Horn of Africa. There was the landslide in Sierra Leone mm-hmm. where so many people yeah, lost their lives. Yeah, there was yeah. a huge response and we mm. had news from the ground almost every day by calling people and the aid agencies mm. there. There was um, Cyclone Deneo that uh, wreaked havoc here in Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Just here in South Africa, there was that terrible heartbreaking fire in our um, southern Cape province, Nice mm. now, mm. where hectares and kilometers of forests and people's houses were just burned down, um, brought on by mm. the wind. So these were um, disasters that we've covered. And then also on health issues, um, there was a whole bucket full of things happening on the African continent mm. this year. Recently, there was the outbreak of the plague in Madagascar. Mm. Luckily, the World Health Organization has now um, announced that it is not as severe. People can can safely go to Madagascar. I mean, you have to follow certain mm, precautions not to be exposed mm-hmm. and so on. We covered um, 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 cholera um, in Ebola in the DRC. Um, there was cases of cholera in Yemen, for instance, um, meningitis in Nigeria. And um, we've just now also recently um, marked World AIDS Day. Mm. So apart from politics taking the headlines, there are mm. also all these other um, human, human-related human diseases and mm. disaster stories that all the services covered. And as I say again, I pay tribute to our in-house journalists mm. that can pick up a phone and, and get the fresh news mm. to inform people all over the continent and the globe about the latest. Well, I'm going to take a quick uh, a break again, and then we're going to wrap it up. I'd like us, uh, I know we can't cover everything, but uh, I don't know if it's okay for you guys for us to look at the Zimbabwe story, which is the latest one this year. We can't forget about Lesotho as well, because there were a lot of um, uh, issues that took place there. And then I'll let you guys, uh, during the break give me your your last story that you'd like us uh, to look at it's 11 37 central african time let's take a quick one and then we'll be back as we look at the big stories of 2017 good news for listeners in america you can now listen to channel africa by phoning 605-47-1711 so If you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms. Remember, we are on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio book. On shortwave, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. For our Pan-African international community, we are on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's a way that uh, you can also join us there where you can stream us live. Well, let's uh, move on and look at the Zimbabwe. 
Zimbabwe context. It's the latest story. It's a big one. It was a surprise for not not many of us because here on Channel Africa, we were looking at the events from February, uh, Janine. You were looking at the events in Zimbabwe uh, when we saw the arrest of uh, Pastor Mwarire plotting to overthrow the, the government. Pastor, yeah. it, it started there, really, to see uh, the political kind of uh, repulsion against uh, uh, Robert Mugabe. But now when the latest happened, nobody was really sure if and what sure. was happening because yeah. it started with people on, on Facebook and on WhatsApp sending pictures, people driving on some road mm. and then these uh, military vehicles approaching from the front. Sure. And it was wrongly reported that w- these were tanks initially while it mm. was actually just troop carriers. Mm. Now people were wondering, okay, what's happening in Harare? Mm. And things were quiet. Then came reports that yes, here it's and there cool, military yeah. um, vehicles have been seen, but nothing happens no shots were fired nobody mm. was arrested mm. and everybody was again whatsapping and looking on facebook and then how did uh, you approach that story at that particular time no, we, Janine, called, we, ha- we have a correspondent there who's excellent sure. who kept us he went out and see and then they saw the vehicles and mm. they spoke to was people. it simon muchemo simon muchemo mm. and before i gave to other colleagues then at the time um he came to south africa for a conference he was attending so our own foot soldier wasn't there mm. anymore mm. but i remember he came into the studio on your pro this very program mm. and he gave the whole background of what is expected by that time it was um, perceived as a as a non-violent coup so to speak mm-hmm. and i mean listeners know now that um, there is a change of government uh, many people had high hopes they say they don't know anymore because it's the same old faces again in the mm. new cabinet that's supposed to be sworn in today but yes it, it happened very silently and so far very peacefully but mm. as far as the real thing of whether it was a coup i think mr ari Rink can can comment better on that. Mark, I mean, in Uganda, you were very much involved as a journalist uh, looking at the war situation in your country. What, you, what were your impressions when you saw the so-called coup in um, Zimbabwe? Well, the one in Zimbabwe, it was actually professional and well-planned military takeover I've ever seen in African continent. It's never been so peaceful, <laughs> never. <laughs> it has never, because I remember, because I have uh, witnessed myself when I was still a very young person by that time. Mm. I was thin. They used to call me mosquito. You, yeah. you, <laughs> mosquito, general. <laughs> yeah, I remember during the military takeover, uh, General Tito Okelo Lutwa, mm. when he overthrew President uh, Apollo Milton Obote, mm. Then uh, that was in uh, 1985. Mm. Then in 19, on 26th January uh, 1986, the rebels of National Resistance Army being led by the current president of Uganda, Yoweri Kaguta Museveni. Mm. He's still in power. Can He's you still imagine? in power. <laughs> <laughs> About 30 years. So looking at Zimbabwe, mm. were you were you shocked by the way the military took control and also the intervention of the veterans were also significant and also seeing the public participation that seemed like it was coordinated somehow by some invisible hand at the time? Of course it was coordinated. I think mm. it was coordinated by the current president himself, mm. Munagagwa. He, he was best here in, in, in Johannesburg, but... Because uh, he, 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 that's when he, he, he left the country he because left. he was uh, removed from his deputy presidency yes. by 
Mugabe. Yes, so he came here and actually he is the one who masterminded the, the the military takeover because he was he was coordinating all these activities using the military uh, military generals. That's why it was actually blood I can say bloodless. Nobody died, there was no looting. It was peaceful and instead people rejoiced. And it took them, I think, about three days rejoicing, just mm -hmm. celebrating, mm -hmm. uh, enjoying themselves. So this kind of uh, military takeover, it's the first kind of uh, military coup I've seen in Africa. Compared to other countries whereby you find dozens of people, they die. Mm -hmm. Some of them, they get injured. Mm -hmm. People take advantage. Shops are looted. Houses are damaged. And all kind of things do happen during a military takeover. Me, but this one, so because it was it was well planned, it becomes much easy to ask Robert Mugabe, please, can you leave the office? Let me wrap it up with you, Prachal, in terms of looking at Zimbabwe. I wanted us to go to Lesotho, but I think we'll look at SADC from a different perspective next time because there's also Mozambique to look at and there's also other African countries to look at. But looking at what happened in Zimbabwe, for you, what stood out? We've got like two minutes left, so uh, we have to make it speedy, the analysis. You know, I would say uh, the man who's in charge right now is a new person in power. No. That's my mm. answer. Okay. To me, it's the same old wine in a different bottle. Mm. But look, in politics, you learn. You okay. learn from your predecessors, as we are seeing the situation in Angola right now. Mm. If Nangawa knows how Mugabe left the office, he has to bear in mind that he too can be removed exactly the same way Mugabe was removed. Mm. Nobody is immortal. You know. But now, the point is, is the government inclusive? Is it an inclusive government? Mm. All inclusive. Question, then, is it yeah. accommodating all mm. political parties and saying, no, look, is this a transitional government? Mm. No, it's not a transitional government. It's a continuation of the ZANU-PF you know, hierarchy. Mm. They are continuing until the next election due for next year. But unfortunately, opposition has lost patience because they thought from now onward the country will be run by a transitional government that will embrace all political parties. Unfortunately, it's not the situation right now in Zimbabwe. Well, thank you to you gents and thank you to you lady uh, for giving us your time. Uh, those were our executive uh, producers, the, the real engine behind uh, the machine, the guys who make things happen for us. Uh, you might not hear them daily. Sometimes you do, uh, but uh, they do make sure that everything is coordinated here on Channel Africa. Thank you to Janine Kutsia, executive producer for our English service. Thank you as well to Mike Arereng, our executive producer, Kiswahili, the guy who teases me every day if I'm not in studio. That's Charlie Kumalo, our executive producer and our Portuguese service. That's how we wrap it up. I'm sure in the next few weeks we'll be looking at other big stories that uh, we'd really like to unpack on our program once a week in the next uh, few weeks. But thank you for giving us your time. That